Hey, hey, it's Lou here with our second episode in this special series of Conversations from Shade, supported by Hauser & Worth. And in this series, we'll be exploring unencumbered voices in curated spaces, inspired by the life and the work of Sir Frank Bowling. It was the first time in my life that I had the opportunity to, to get down and do what I wanted to do. I mean, you know, like I'm 24, you know. And I had the most marvelous, satisfying experience. But, I mean, that was one of the, the moments in my life when I knew, I knew and what I wanted to do, how I was going to go about it, etc. This three-episode series, released throughout the summer, will provide a collaborative platform for diverse perspectives, investigating freedom of expression today and throughout art history. Today, I'm delighted to say that my guest is Michael Ohajuru. Michael is an art historian and senior fellow at the Institute of Commonwealth Studies, where he leads the What's Happening in Black British History programme, fostering a creative dialogue between researchers, educators, curators and policymakers. And when you look at it, the abstract expressionism, there's, there's, there's a kind of, that, that tension that these artists created through figure and form and colour. Frank, Frank captured that so wonderfully. He speaks regularly on the black presence in Renaissance Europe at the National Gallery, Tate Britain, the National Archives and the British Library, highlighting the overt and covert black presence to be found in the National Art Collections in London. OK, let's go straight to the conversation. Enjoy. Well, we're here to talk about freedom of expression in curated spaces inspired by the life and work of Frank Bowling. And we had a chat um, earlier before we recorded this session about uh, Bowling's work. And you talked about his positioning within what you call the implicit, explicit framework of the black artist and the black subject in British galleries. So before we talk about Bowling's work, in particular within this context, can you just tell us a little bit about this implicit, explicit framework that, that you use to, to view art um, currently? Well, it's based on uh, the image of the black in Western galleries as a seminal text, multi-volume text, which mm. looks look at the black presence in Western uh, canonical art. And in, in London, we've got some of the, the finest collections of Western canonical art in Europe. And in there, I like to go and find the black presence. Mm. But to find that black presence, uh, there's a number of ways I kind of have to deconstruct it or search for it. The first, as you said, I talk about an implicit and explicit. Quite simply, it's there, you can see it. The black presence is clear. Like, for instance, the black magus in the adoration scene, well understood. There are many, many hundreds of them and, and there's almost uh, 15 of them in the National Galleries collection, for instance. But also there's an implicit presence in terms of, in its simplest form, where did the money come from for this picture? And often you can source the money back to uh, enslavement, the transatlantic slave trade, and that's where the money came from, particularly in the 18th century, Britain's age of celebrity and, and the rise of the common man to become, a, to become an elite. And the money that, 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 that fueled that launch much of it came from the trade in enslaved people across the Atlantic. So those are two, the implicit and explicit I talk about. There's also a journey that, that we go on from at the very start from the, mm. 
the 13th, 14th, 15th century through to the 21st century. At the start of this journey, the black presence is often is um, is, a, is a servant, as a slave. He's a subject of economic capital. But as we move through time, today he's actually the artist. He or she is a creative cultural capital. Mm. He's defining our times, reflecting how we mm-hmm. think and feel about the world, how we understand the world. And in terms of in terms of Frank, Frank is the is the very end of my journey as, as I take people up from the National Gallery in the early the uh, works in the um, 15th, 16th century through the Renaissance, through to the Enlightenment and the age of celebrity with artists like Sir Joshua Reynolds and others, right through to today. He's at the end of that journey in Tate, Tate Britain, where we see black artists creating art for themselves. So that's the journey going, implicit and explicit, and from subjects of economic capital to creators of cultural capital. Mm. I wanted to talk about the narratives that um, are placed upon his work. And I mentioned that because um, there's a quote here that I have where he said, I don't know what black or Asian art is. I only know that art is art. So by the time I was editing this, I'd become aware of some context around this particular quote. And I think it situates this conversation in a useful way. In 2019, Tate Britain held Bowling's first major retrospective. And in response to this, as part of a seminar at the Tate, Turner Prize nominee Oscar Murillo criticised the fact that this was the first retrospective of Bowling's work. Murillo was saying two things. Firstly, that there had been no retrospective up until that point. And he also added that the retrospective framed Bowling in the context of his life citing the lack of discourse and depth in discussions around Bowling's work. And according to a BBC article at the time, Bowling responded by saying that he wanted the show to focus purely on the formal aspects of his work rather than his life story and race. He stated that, I don't know what black and Asian art is. I know what art is art. So there's some context for you, and to me there's a difference in the wording of those quotes. The difference is that the quote I first heard seemed to show Bowling placing himself in a post-racial context, where he wanted the show to focus purely on the formal aspects of his work. And this isn't wrong, of course, but what the full context shows is an artist coming up against the preconceptions of an institution based on race. And I think that that says so much about his criticism of labelling the artist. And this is so interesting to me because we label creative so much today based on their identity. I'm thinking in particular about how Frank expressed the tension he felt at having narratives placed upon his work and his desire was to work outside the constraints of what was considered black art. And I think that was very telling um, of the cultural and political times in which he was working as well. And um, and he was an active instigator of dialogue on this subject. He addressed the critical invisibility of black artists. And I think it'd be really nice if we could spend a bit of time now exploring how his work fitted into the narratives of the times in, in which he works. You know, Frank is, is such an important character in my uh, in the journey that I take on the black black artist, and but because he's an artist first, and that's what makes him so special for me, because I see him as the first 
artist, this artist of color who was recognized for himself. Now, it wasn't an easy journey for him. Very famously, you know, that exhibition in uh, the Whitechapel um, Gallery where his work was rejected. It was called the New Generation, 1964, and it was the penultimate event that propelled bowling from Britain. Two years later, he was chosen to represent Britain at the first World Festival of Negro Arts in Dakar. He had had enough protesting that I'm not a black artist, I'm an artist, going on to say that the tradition I imbibe and the cultural ramifications are British, and at which point he left for New York. I, I, I use him as an example of, of how he was an artist because he was a contemporary with with Hockney, with uh, Alan Jones, Bridget Riley. He was their equal. Yeah, he was excluded from the exhibition. Robertson said, England is not yet ready for a gifted artist of colour. Yeah. Let's just break that down. A gifted artist of colour. He was, he, he was a gifted artist. He was reflecting his times, that abstract expressionism, and he was creating work which spoke to the time. And when you look at it, the abstract expressionism, there's, there's, there's a kind of, that, that tension that these artists created through figure and form and colour. Frank, Frank captured that so wonderfully. So Robson, when he rejected him, he knew he was going on. And what I find just so maddening, yeah. Robson is the gatekeeper, not ready for an artist to colour. How does he know that? He is a gatekeeper. Frank was his own man. And he created work which, which spoke at the, at the time, but also speaks to us today. Mm. You know, the, the, these, these are wonderful pieces, wonderful works that reflect him, his work as an artist. And I love the journey he went on, sense of, okay, I'm rejected in England, let me go to America. And he went there and he met brothers who accepted him. But even over there, they were looking for this idea of black artists. And to your point, Lou, you know, he was rejecting that, he railed against that. Because he, did, he, didn't, he didn't and doesn't think there is such a thing as black art. So for me, uh, that, that, there's no, no question. He's first an artist. And you look, you know, some of the works, the works speak for themselves. It, uh, I'm, I'm, particularly his, his, his map work, and perhaps we'll come on to that later, his, his, his map paintings. They're just exquisite paintings, paintings that speak to the ages, speak to us. So no, first and foremost, he's an artist. We could discuss the other, the Britishness. Uh, what, what, what that means, yeah. or, or um, and equally the blackness, what that means. But first and foremost, when you, when you see his work, it reflects the times and who we are and, and, and how we relate to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the map paintings. So what was the framework in which um, those paintings were created in terms of the political times and what was going on socially and, and culturally? He's looking back to his, his origins in, and, he, and he uses the stencil of South America and he lays on that the the the, the Guyanese flag, and the, 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 those those colours and that stencil creates some some idea of of his his origins. I had the pleasure of attending the um, the Tate exhibition, uh, the retrospective, absolutely brilliant. And the map room, where they brought uh, several of his map paintings together, was just an exquisite experience. These paintings are big, several meters long, several meters high big paintings, full of colour. And I love this, I love this so much. I brought the T-shirt, literally, because Tate have a T-shirt. The one I brought was, was um, <laughs> Polish Rebecca. 
have you seen the um the Rothko room where you've got the Seagram murals yeah, at, yeah. at um at yeah. the Tate Modern? There's almost a religious experience when you go in that room because the lighting is is quite low and the paintings they have a mm. presence all of their own. That map room was very similar to that. It had an aesthetic and mood, a feeling, all of it. So the paintings together, they spoke. Such was their presence and their vibrancy. You've made me realise how much I miss um, galleries and how much I took them for granted before uh, lockdown. And you said, you know, like going into that Rothko room with the low lighting is like a religious experience. It's just like, you know, I'm not a religious person, but going to galleries, you know, does feel like that. I'm so glad everything's opening up. So I think just what you've described there um, will make people excited to get back into galleries. You know, we missed it, right? No, no, so much so because these paintings have a presence of their own and sometimes you can't articulate it. But I, I talk no. about, now forgive me for this, I talk about WTF art. I'll leave your listeners to understand yes. what that means. But art, <laughs> when you look at a painting, it draws you in. Often you don't understand why. And Frank's paintings, yeah. his map paintings are that. You look at them and they have a movement, a drama, a mood, mm. uh, all of their own. You know, uh, as I say, I'm going back to Polish Rebecca because it's my very favourite, not just for the, because uh, it's Frank and map painting, but the colour, it's predominantly purple. It looks like, <laughs> so this T-shirt looks good. You know, I wear it with pride because the colours suit me. Hey. And also the artist suits me. But no, let's step back a bit. You know, when you look at these paintings, like, as I said, like the Polish record or other paintings, I was, I was looking at one the other day, that was, um, about the Thames. But you look at that, it, mm. it, it triggers off water, flow, movement, riverbank. You, know, you look at it and you're just drawn in. In that WTF sense, the kind of the, the painting sucks you in, asking you questions, answering questions, creating a mood in the moment. So it, it, you know, it, it, it's hard to articulate and put into words just that you know you're in the presence of something. You know, one of my old art, yeah. art, art tutors used to talk about the, 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 the painting being a, a human being and taking it's having a humanity, a presence of its own. And coming back to your point about visiting galleries, when you're in the presence of these works, they look at you looking at them. It's a kind of a, yes, a spooky yes, kind yes, of harmony, yes. particularly these great works, great in terms of size and great in terms of, of content. Yeah. This idea of unencumbered voices and this this massive, like, um, uh, like imposing, when you're talking about those paintings, like this imposing kind of expression that kind of can overwhelm you and... I wanted to call this series Unencumbered Voices because I was thinking about Frank's ideal when it comes to freedom of expression. And I'm thinking particularly about this in the art history context and the curated spaces context. So on the one hand, um, within the curated space, through time, again, we're talking about the narratives and identity placed um, upon artworks by um, artists of colour. By talking about our identities we kind of express our position um quite strongly you know it's a strong foundation and this is who we are and this is where we're coming from and this is uh what we want to say because of who we are um in our work and and that does help to define the dialogue around the work but then by the same token i'm concerned am i kind of part of the system that is perpetuating the recycling of these discussions um 
which in turn could lead to, to, to further stereotyping. I was talking to another friend who's a creative on this subject and and the whole question of discussing these themes of identity and, you know, we're on interview panels and podcasts and, and she came back to me and was like, listen, this whole thing is a trap and maybe we need to move on and maybe this is not progressing us now. We've had these conversations. Maybe as a community, don't often take the time to step back and reassess and look at where these discussions are taking us. And so I'd like to finish by reflecting on where we are now in terms of the impact of these discussions and how maybe you see this playing out. So, you know, you give talks about uh, the black presence um, within British galleries. Just imagine like if I just like sent you 10 years or 50 years or 100 years ahead when you were given those talks, what do you hope that you would be saying about the black presence in British galleries? Big question, but you know, we can always dream. <laughs> First, this history, factual history. You know, there's a there's a painting with a black presence. What does it mean? There's a king there, there's a white king, a black king. What does that mean? So there'll always be an un, a need to understand that presence from a from an historical mm. point of view. From a, from a kind of a factual point of view, interpreted. Well, what does this mean to us today? In my talks, I like to focus on the fact that the paintings had a meaning then and they have a meaning now. I would like to think that in 50 years' time, people say, well, so what? That, that, that's how they thought. Move on. Because yeah. those paintings from the, from the 1450, the, <laughs> the don't inform us today. Of 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 thinking is more of freer. We don't put people into boxes anymore. We don't because he's black. Then X Y Z or because she's black. We don't have all these things fall upon their head. We're much freer in our thinking. We accept it. So for me, ten, fifteen, or fifty years time, it's a kind of acceptance of the black presence. And and having said that, though, coming back to this history thing, some of these paintings are historical records. They're records of of how free people felt at that time. Let me just give you an example. I'm just doing some work, research on Hogarth's, uh, um, Hogarth's mm. marriage a la mode with the black presence. And that's a, that's a statement of Britain in the 18th century. Hogarth saw it. It's a historical statement. It's a record which can be interpreted just as text in the National Archive can be interpreted. They, they state the times. Moving forward to today, we're very different times from today, so we can look at it objectively. So that would be my hope that people can be objective in 50 years' time. However, coming back today, is it okay to be a black artist? Of course it is, in the sense that you're first an artist, you're expressing your times, feelings, and emotions through your art. But then if part of that is your lived experience of being a black person and, and the, the challenge that, that it presents, I, that I see is no different from Palestinian art today, where Palestinians do art, we reflect the oppression they feel in their search for a, a, a nation. That presence cannot not inform their art. There's a very glib expression that says, you cannot not communicate. So that's what artists do, they communicate. Now, if that manifests as a, a black oppression, well, so be it. Other times, artists, I'm coming back to Frank, they express a moment in time, a, a feeling, a sensation, and using color, to kind of help us understand or or, or or respond to those emotions. 
50 years time, I hope they'll, hope they'll be seen as historical facts and artists will continue to be artists, reflecting who they are and how they fit into the world. That's a wonderful answer. Thank you so much, Michael, for coming to talk to us today about unencumbered voices in curated spaces. It's been an absolute pleasure. This series, inspired by the work of Frank Bowling, is sponsored by Hauser & Worth. Editing and mixing is by C.A. Davis and music is by Brian Jackson. If this conversation has inspired you to explore the work of Frank Bowling more, I've added links to his work in the episode's description. And come and say hi to Shade on Instagram at shade underscore podcast and on Twitter at shadepodcast1. And check out our website too for all of the episode archives. I've been your host, Lou Mensah, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now.